listening to Auto D coming at you live. Hey everybody, thanks for listening to the Auto D show here on Dave Pratt's Star Worldwide Networks, broadcasting from high above Camelback Road in absolutely beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona. I am your host, Otto Daniolo, and tonight, legendary local rock and roller Glenn Crimson will again be my host as we chat with another Cool Valley industry pro, Jeff Harris, right after this first song from Glenn's old band called The Spiffs. This tune is called Little Teaser. Check it out here on the Auto D Show. Listening to Auto D coming at you live. 
And that was a little teaser by Glenn Crimson here on the Auto D Show, which is brought to you in part by my good friends at Fervor Records and also by TheRecordingArtist.com, where every Wednesday evening I record bands live online while you watch. To learn more, visit TheRecordingArtist.com. But now let's get to the show because we got a packed house. Glenn, you brought a couple friends with you. So how are you doing? Yeah. Oh, awesome as usual. Kicking the world's butt. Good to see you. Yeah. And Ooh, banging on the desk. Yeah, it makes these <laughs> things ring. It's like, welcome to the stand, you know. Cool. Who'd you bring with you today? Well, I have my drummer. He's guesting tonight, Dave Marshall. Hey, David. He, Hello. He was in my band's Box of Cherries and the Einsteins, both of which uh, had little record deals, whatever. We got signed to Mellencamp Records, whatever. And I then, think uh, I saw the two of you together on Amazon Prime, too. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. On. <laughs> then our main guest is Jeff Harris, who... Hey, Jeff. Good evening. <laughs> Uh, multi-platinum engineer, no, no. Uh, super tramp. No. That anyway, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> Don't play yourself down, Jeff. Oh, I, I know you're Go. shy and you're reserved. Well, you're the know, opposite of me, you know. Like, uh, so just relax and uh, well, it's, it's going nice to be fun. Sitting here with half a box of cherries, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we got half a box right here. All right, so uh, mostly well, we're going to talk about when I met Jeff and worked with Jeff for four or five years at the Hormel Mansion. There was a okay. studio there. So let me preface this with explaining what the Hormel, Hormel Mansion was. In 1991, when I met Jeff, it was the largest residence west of the Mississippi, 54,000 wow. square feet of living space. Olympic pool, uh, bowling alley, ice skating rink, elevator, I mean, insanity, right? Uh, that's where I met Jeff, and it was owned by the Hormels, you know, Spam and Hormel Chili and all that. So when we mention the mansion, that's what we're talking about. Uh, okay, so cool. I I met you at the mansion, right, Jeff? Right. So why was I at the? Mansion? I was going to say I bet his story starts before that. <laughs> oh yeah, but uh, the, I came to uh, Arizona uh, from Seattle, where I started my company up there after a long tenure at the Village Recorder in L.A. And uh, uh-huh. there's the connection. Yeah, so I'm in uh, Seattle, and I get a call from Jordy. They bought this amazing property because Jordy Hormel owned the Village Recorder, yeah, the, yeah. the studio that Spam built. Uh, anyway, uh, he calls me to uh, come build a studio for him. I said, "What's what are you doing?" He says, "Well, I've kind of retired to Arizona, and I bought this mansion, and I came here, and I went. This is incredible. It was right across from Barry Goldor's house there in Paradise Valley, and." Uh, Indeed, 52, 54,000 square feet. And I said, what do you want to do? Well, there's a, he gave me the tour, and I think there are 27 bathrooms and locker <laughs> yeah. rooms and <laughs> 10 bedrooms. And yeah. Yeah. oh, it's just this amazing place. And it was built in the 60s by Walker McCune, and this, his wife was a figure skater. So there was an ice skating rink in the basement of this thing. Wow. Not a huge ice skating rink, but enough to do figure skating. So Jordy says, I don't need an ice skating rink. Let's turn it into a studio. So the band, that's where I met all these guys, and I said, I need help. And uh, swinging hammers and everything else, they helped me build the studio. That's and really yeah. became, became the house band. Yep. Wow. Lucky our guitar player was a carpenter, so he, he did uh, most of the work for us. Yeah, yeah where, just where, did he go back to Chicago? I don't know where he is, man. No. You guys were like, you guys like, just keep swinging that hammer because we're going to get to make a record. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so oh, we, how I ended up at the mansion, right? Box of Cherries, we opened for Sacred Reich at the Mason Jar. Oh, cool. And Jamie was there, Miss Hormel. She was 22 years old at the time. Yeah. Uh-huh. And just a stone-cold, sick goddess, you know. And she goes, hey, will you guys play a gig at my house? 
no idea who she was. We get to the house, it's the fucking mansion, right? And she goes, look, we're, we're industry people, you know, my husband owns the Village Recorder. Uh, to let people know what the Village Recorder, it was one of the top 10 studios in the world, oh, right? Yeah. When I first came to Arizona in 89, I spent my first 18 months working in LA at the Village at Recorder. At the Village? No way, so, I didn't know that. Either. Name yeah. some bands that recorded in there. So it was so cool. So Every band, so many records on the wall, it was insane. Oh yeah, yeah, so I, I got there in 1976. When okay. were you there? I was there, I worked a lot there in 1989 and 90. Okay, that's about the time, that's when I left for Seattle. In fact, we used to, I used to make fun of all the people that I <clears throat> that I met there that I'd never met. In other words, we'd, you'd wave at somebody and they'd wave at you as they walked out and you go, who is that? Oh, well, that was Ann Wilson, you know. And yeah. out comes from from a hidden wall is, uh, you know, what's his name? You know, had his office upstairs. Oh, Jeff from the band. Greenberg? No. You know, uh, Robbie Robertson. Oh, Robbie, yeah. Yeah, he has a loft upstairs thing. and it's a wall. All of a sudden the wall opens, he walks out and the door closes and he leans up against it again. <laughs> Umberto Gatica sitting on the phone when you walk into the lobby. We went to lunch one day and we came back and the whole vibe in the studio was different, just like dead. It was really cool when we went to lunch. We're like, what happened? Well, Frank Sinatra just came in to sing in Studio A while you guys were gone. He did one take. His voice cracked. He told Frank, he told his son to redo all the tracks again and he marched out. You know, it's, they just recorded the whole orchestra for like the second time on that album. I mean, so there's all these people that you just you just cross paths by just being in the room. I mean, everybody was there. Well, it was the heyday of recording for me. Yeah. I started at Record Plant in New York in oh, cool. the early 70s. And... Uh, my back door into the industry was really that I had a technical career, a technical knowledge. So in playing college radio, I didn't know what I was doing, trying to record people and put them on the air. Had no idea. There were no schools. Right. So you learn on your own. <laughs> so back then, it was kind of an apprenticeship business. You could work in a studio and learn the ropes. Well, you can't do that today, of course. There's too much technology to learn. So I'm figuring it out. I built a little mixer and a four-track machine. I'm recording friends. And... Uh, this girl I was recording got a deal in Philadelphia. I lived outside Philadelphia. And we went to a real studio. And, and you, most of you probably remember the first time you walked into a real studio and saw the console. Mm -hmm. And you go, this is it. Yeah, it's this like a spaceship. Is it. I, am, yeah. I am there. This is what I want to do. And so they let me hang out. And uh, I started networking, meeting people. And uh, my good friend Dave Hewitt uh, was at Record Plant in New York. And he called, we need a tech. I went, well, that's my back door in. So a couple of years in, in New York. I mean, Jimmy Iovine was an assistant engineer there mm -hmm. at that time. <laughs> I mean, there's Mr. Interscope, you know. And uh, uh, John Lennon was recording at that time. It was the heyday for me. Yeah. And uh, uh, my girlfriend at the time said, I want to move to California. All right, so we packed up and just moved to California, didn't have a job. And uh, another engineer went with me. And uh, we get to LA, no jobs. We go, well, let's just call studios. And so we started cold calling. He started at A, I started at Z in the alphabet. He got as far as <laughs> Cherokee, had a great rock, great rock oh, and yeah. roll studio. Yeah. I got as far as the Village Recorder, and it was the perfect fit and stayed there 19 that years. That is crazy. So I ran the tech department, became chief recording engineer, general manager, and then off to Seattle to get out of there. Get out of wow. L.A. Wow. So I was in L.A. at the right time, is what I always say. Yeah, the, pretty cool. The good times. I know Glenn wanted to talk about, he mentions the Breakfast in America record, but I also want to let you go to Seattle and back to Phoenix and finish your trip. But uh, we'll come, we'll get to that. Yeah. I expose unless we're there well <laughs> so you, you worked at village all those years name some bands that worked in there oh jesus while you were in there and and were you teching or were you engineering on both, some of that stuff? Both. Okay. i became chief recording engineer before i left there so. oh cool and uh since i was able to teach i i, I ran classes on weekends for uh, all the assistants and interns and because there were no schools right you and had to tell so them what to do. you learn in-house you know and uh so before i got there and when i was in in the philadelphia area i, I was Tuning my ears to good music and good recordings, so I'm a mm -hmm. purist, and I became a Steely Dan fan mm -hmm. way back when. And um, 
back with, uh, you know, Pretzel Logic, Katie Lied with the stuff I was listening to. So I leave New York, I get to LA, and I walk into the Village Recorder, and I say, Who are we, who's here? And it's Steely Dan. I'm like, oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> this is, there uh, it is. Uh, I'm, I'm home. And uh, my friend Roger Nichols, their engineer, he and I became techno buddies and just uh, geeked out on all this stuff. And, mm -hmm. uh, so, um, of course, uh, the big thing there was uh, in 1979, uh, Fleetwood Mac was coming off of all the rumors money, and Warner Brothers said, you need to spend money. And we knew how to do that. <laughs> so we built Studio D, which is still there, this beautiful room. And uh, they were in there for 13 months doing the Tusk record. Mm -hmm. And so I was there every day with them. And a uh, uh, million dollars in studio time on that record. Jeez. Now that's when there were budgets. Yeah. Record companies had A&R departments and spent money and made good records. And so coming off of that, so they were Steely Dan and Fleetwood Mac. And then um, I met the guys in Supertramp when they were coming in. I hit it off with them. And there were two of us who assisted on that. And so learned a lot about listening. And uh, my favorite story there is we're getting ready to mix the record. and. Uh, uh, Pete Henderson, the producer engineer, says, Jeff, cover up all the meters on the console. I said, you, know, you don't want to see the meters? He says, no, seeing the meters bounce around while I'm listening and mixing doesn't tell me anything. The tracks are recording. I know where everything is. So I covered it up. And I said, turn down the lights. And from this day on, I, I teach students at, at Crass that said, here's a challenge for you. Pick your f some song you think you really know, one of yours, something you've listened to forever, and go into a dark room and put headphones on and close your eyes and listen, and you'll hear things you've never heard before. Absolutely. So you're, you're taking the Absolutely. visual distractions out of it. Yeah. That's what I hate about tracking the Pro Tools. I want somebody else running Pro Tools because I don't want to be distracted by flashy stuff in front of me. I agree. So that yeah. album, Breakfast in America, I just looked it up on Wikipedia, yeah. and it won Grammys up the ass, yeah. right? Yeah. Including engineering. Yeah. Right, so uh, you were part of that team. Yeah, yeah. Never so got one for that. but It's uh, fucking cool yeah. as shit. But yeah. you've gotten one. Uh, hmm? But you've gotten a Grammy for other work? No, no, oh, no, no, no. No, they I never got so, on that. The closest I ever got was with uh, uh, George Benson uh, for engineering on a George Benson record. Oh, cool. Yeah. So they won a Grammy, so oh. didn't you get the vote for the Grammys or something? How did oh, that work? Oh, God, yes. Yeah. So, uh, do you, you want to go down that road? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, if, if you watched the Grammys the other <laughs> night, it's, uh, uh, well, all right, so I, I used to be a member of NARIS and a member of AES. What is that? On, National Association of Recording, Academy of Recording. Okay. The Grammys, right? And so long ago, with enough credits, you can join, and you give them your hundred bucks a year, and you attend meetings. And L.A. was great, great section, you know, because it's kind of home. And so I used to vote for the Grammys, and I slowly saw the evolution of what I call music. The Grammys back then, you know, were rewarded for talent on both sides of the glass. Which Musical years? Talent. Which years was it? Oh, this would go back. This is nineties, okay. and um, so uh, up through the nineties, ninety-eight or so was when I think uh, the loudness wars happened and musical styles changed, and but it, it, it was a re was a reward for talent on both sides of the glass, engineering talent and of course musical talent, and so I got disillusioned with it. And I remember it's about it's about ten years ago now. I was in L.A. at a convention and. Uh, they said, Jeff, you haven't paid your dues. I said, and I don't intend to. I said, I, I don't embrace what it's become. You know, <laughs> and except the other night, Bonnie Raitt wins for best song. Now, in listening to that song, I can see why people n might not appreciate it. And, but people are so crass as to say, I never heard of her. 
mm-hmm. the uneducated music consuming public. Mm-hmm. So, and now I, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole of talent. Well, but, I mean, I haven't watched the Grammys in 15 years. Well, and, and, and I don't usually, but I thought that was the other night because it was on and uh, uh, what Dre and the guys did with the history of hip hop was actually a pretty cool production. And it kind of played off of what he did at Super Bowl halftime last year, which mm-hmm. was an amazing show. Um, but Lizzo got record of the year for song, and let's see, album of the year was Harry Styles, and that snubbed Beyonce, Adele, Coldplay, Brandy, and ABBA. So Harry Styles, that's yeah, different. Um, but uh, Beyonce, got, of course, got the, the big award for you know 32 wins down or something. So yeah, so it's a yeah interesting uh, collection of. Just a different age group, man. It is. It is. And I don't want to say I'm old, but I, we still, are. Enjoy, I still enjoy good audio. And I, I, just I have a habit of asking young people this because I like to work with young people, right? So if somebody 20 years old or so, I'll ask them who their favorite artist, who they're listening to. And then I'll go say, well, do you like The Doors? 10 out of 10 never heard of The Doors. Of course not. So... You know, it's it's just a completely different world for kids. That's all. Mm-hmm. It's not you know, that it's you know what's interesting though too is younger people now they they listen to something we didn't have, which is playlists online. Yes. And so I'm I'm sitting at home and hear my 18 year old daughter in the shower. She always blares her music when she goes in the bathroom to take a shower. I'm hearing Billy Joel's Vienna. You know, I'm like, oh my god, there's hope because <laughs> it's right between two crazy things I've never heard of. But they actually, with playlists, they're starting to get introduced to things that we did come up with, and then they then they gravitate to it. Yeah, they'll find it, and and it has a resurgence. So some of that music really does have an opportunity now. The twenty years ago, it didn't have an opportunity to really come oh, back. Yeah. You know? So I got lots of mansion stories. So let's oh, go, do another go mansion there, story. Man, let's go the, there. So Jim Price. Fasten your seatbelt. Jim Price. Jim Price just passed away yesterday. Oh, are yesterday? you serious? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, and I did a lot of work oh with him. Oh, my God. And his big band. I uh, mean, recording yeah. some bad stuff in Phoenix here. Well, and, you know, go ahead. This was go. my memory of him. Remember, he used to walk around uh, the mansion there, this kind of mousy guy with orange skin because all he drank yeah, was, uh, <laughs> was carrot, carrot juice. juice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? And, uh, yeah, and he brought in an eight-piece uh, orchestra yeah. or whatever yeah, big, from the L.A. big band stuff, yeah. yeah. And he let me sit in that room. Mm. I don't remember that. He let me sit in the corner. Yeah. So he's the there like room. a conductor, and then he would just just amazing shit. He'd wave the band off and say, uh, you know, trumpet three or something like that. Uh, bar something blah blah flat that note. You know. Yeah. He, and then he heard with all eight people playing, he knew exactly which note was fucked, and he fixed it like that. And I was just stunned and amazed, man. It was the coolest thing. And so he also produced. Uh, the big hit by Hamilton, Joe Frank, and Reynolds. Oh, yeah. Oh, yep. yeah? And uh, Joe Cocker. Joe Cocker, yeah. 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 Yep. So, so Jim Price was so a good cool. friend, and uh, I recorded uh, five songs with him in the 90s here in Arizona, and he moved back to L.A., and he did five songs there, and so he did a, a Then and Now album that he sent me a couple of years ago that was released. So that was kind of fun. Yeah, he, yeah, he was uh, interesting, and so he and Jordy hit it off well, you know. Yeah, Jordy was the coolest, coolest guy in the world. So now that we have uh, Dave Marshall, Pachacherry's drummer here with us, I have a story about the mansion and you and oh blah blah. So seatbelts. <clears throat> we met. I met Keith Olson, who yeah. produced. People don't know who he is. He produced yeah. Foreigner, uh, White Snake, Rick Springfield, Pat Benatar, etc. Uh, got Lindsay and Stevie and Fleetwood Mac and produced that album. Right? He's sick fuck. 
So he listens to a tape. And he calls the band house, and I record it because it was phone machine then in 1991. Still and, have the tape. You know, you <laughs> saved it. Yeah, okay. And uh, he said, hey, I blah, 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 blah. He goes, but I won't be able to work with your drummer. He's too ahead of the beat. And then he goes on. He goes, well, you can tell him to maybe lower his snare one inch because that will give you an extra two milliseconds and <laughs> blah, blah. <clears throat> and fuck, Dave listened to that and freaked, right? Because you got to understand, Dave – was the best looking dude in town. Yeah, I mean, yeah. very popular with the ladies, playing in club bands his whole life. So he was, he thought it he was the shit, bro. right? Right, we all had egos up the, up the butt back then. But he heard that and he freaked. See, that's so, not how I remember it. As I recall, <laughs> as I recall, when I started playing with you, you were always like, fuck it, let's go, let's go, hurry up, hurry up, and wanted everything yeah, faster. So probably. I so I, I changed my drumming style for you. And then when I heard that from Keith, I was pissed. I'm like, I changed for you, and I, and I made you made me look bad. <laughs> right. That's a, okay. that's my recollection. Okay. So then, uh, we're in the studio. We're recording box of cherry stuff, and Jeff comes up with this Russian dragon idea. Explain yeah. what that is, Jeff. Okay. So Russian dragon is for rushing and dragging. But it's called the Russian dragon, and uh, it was made by a guy in L.A. And I picked one at uh, AS convention, and it was the coolest thing. I had a row of LEDs with the center light was you're on time. And so you fed like a metronome or something like that into the one input, and then you'd sort of like combine kick and snare, gate it really hard, and feed that in the other input. And while you're listening to the yeah. click, whether you're on or off by even two milliseconds, the, these ladder of LEDs would go back and forth, and you'd try to correct, you'd overcorrect. Yeah, right? yeah the and, that is, the it's the and you're very totally best. out of it then. And, um, Unless you're one of these, you know, mechanical monster drummers who can do that. So um, Dave is such a perfectionist, yeah. though. So we hang and this thing in front of him on a mic stand. So he's yeah. right in front of the drum set with his <laughs> LEDs going by. And he practiced four hours a day for weeks, <laughs> seriously, before he would let us record another song. So then we did another couple songs. I sent it to Keith after Dave used this Russian dragon. He said, I'm going to be just behind the beat, just the hair and shit. And... They didn't have Pro Tools to correct shit. Yeah, then, right. so. You had to do it. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, then Keith, next word out of Keith's mouth was, did you get a new drummer? <laughs> <laughs> so it worked. All that work and whatever, uh, <clears throat> scaring the shit out of us and all that. And yes, you actually Jeff, still have it still in storage. Uh, yeah. bring that Man, I remember when the <laughs> Russian Dragon came out. I remember yeah. the ads in the magazines for it. And I thought, brilliant name for a really cool tool. But I assumed you would always overcorrect as a player. Oh, of course. Really hard yeah. to deal with. Well, the challenge but, uh, at the booth, and uh, when the guy, I forget the guy's name who invented, uh, we had a drum pad and a stick and said, uh, they had prizes if you could keep oh, it right. on. Yeah, no one could. Yeah, oh, good luck. I think he was screwing with the tempo in the back anyway. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, that was a cool, that was a cool name for a cool tool. Yeah. Okay, so I got another, uh, uh, this goes on forever, so. Hey, boy. we got time. All right, so we're all hanging, the studio was done at that yeah, time, and yeah. I'm hanging out there, and I wrote this song in my life. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, this is great. And uh, so I just wrote it, just wrote down the lyrics, and I run up to Jordy's office with my acoustic guitar. Did, was that the one with all the fur all over yeah. it? Yeah. Do you still have that thing? Yeah, it's hanging you on did. my wall. He <laughs> put all this stuff on it, so it'll sound like crap. I know, it did sound like shit after that. <laughs> but it looked cool. It looked unique. It looked it's a cool. fuzzy guitar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyhow, I've... I've Nobody goes in Jordy's office without permission, right? And I'm just a dick, so I open those big sliding doors. Yeah, yeah, and walk in there. I put my foot up on his desk, and I said, Jordy, you got to hear this song I just wrote. And he goes, Glenn, that's the best song you ever wrote. And he, you remember this call? He calls you right there when yeah. I'm sitting there. And he goes, 
Jeff, I want you to turn one of those bedrooms downstairs or something into a 24-track studio for Glenn to use. Do you remember that? Studio B was born. <laughs> yep. No shit. The power and, of a song. Yeah, and uh, so I passed out, slept there for a couple years, basically, man. I was in that fucking room. What right? were the other songs on the, cas- the first cassette we did? What were the other songs on that? Soul What? And oh, yeah, we did Soul What? Oh, uh, yeah. Soulmate? You recorded live. Let's yeah. talk about that. Oh, gosh. Well, library, library uh, New Year's Eve, two, 1992. No, I, think th- I think you guys talked about that before. That was the Shatan truck, wasn't it? I don't know how you did it. I just played. I know we, we mixed it, but that was 91. Do you remember, Otto? Uh, you, uh, you talked about one of the shows. Yeah, 91, I would have been, uh, gosh, I was here in town. I think at 91, I was a client of Shatan's. I might have been working uh, there by 91. But the cat Came was. to town in 89. Yeah, they had the cat till about 93 or 4. Yeah. But anyway, I, mean, I dragged the ADATs around to a bunch of shows and stuff, so it could have been the ADATs and that. Yeah, yeah. maybe. But anyway, yeah. But well, in you, reference to that, the cat was a Chaton's audio truck, C-A-T. Big okay, two-inch, yeah, truck. and the cat. You used yeah. to drive it down to Phoenix Symphony all the time. Yeah, record yeah. Symphony every week. So you brought up ADATs, so yeah, yeah. Let's, let's bring up the ADATs because uh, <laughs> that's, that's what we used. Yeah. Down in the mansion, there were uh, there was ninety six tracks. So how many is that? Eight, oh, ten of them, twelve you could of them. Do ten of them for eighty tracks, easy. Yeah. Uh, but the way that happened was that. Uh, Tell we, everybody what oh, it is. Okay, first. so here it is. So, uh, working with Jordy Hormel, I met him very early in my career at the Village, and we hit it off. And he knew I had some technical expertise, and I became his technical advisor. And so he had very deep pockets, of course. We had spam money, and so everything new that came out, Jeff, go get that, and so. Yeah. Hey, that's when it nice. first came out. We were getting, you know, black market ones and you know, the places in California and whatever we could find. But we also bought Sony 3324 machines when they were new, the, the big standard digital machines in the studios. And of course, my favorite thing is the Fairlight. So real quick, the Fairlight CMI was the world's first sampling keyboard system out of Australia mm-hmm. uh, 19, uh, 1981. And uh, so he sends me to Australia, to Sydney, to check these things out. And this is a $30,000 thing. And he says, buy 10 of them. We're going to become dealers. <laughs> and uh, now, now I become a sales engineer in LA. And uh, so getting toys was the coolest thing ever. And of course, that extended when we moved here, everything we could get. Um, but anyway, so that thing turned into be, uh, uh, we, we did a big exhibit thing at the village with Bob Moak. Bob Moog, the king of analog mm-hmm. synthesis, mm-hmm. embraced this new digital sampling technology. So this is cutting edge, first the newest stuff. And so uh, uh, we're trying to sell it to composers and post-production houses and such and rich musicians. So Lindsey Buckingham comes in the office and says, I want one, and writes a personal check for $30,000, and there goes one out the door. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a crazy time. And uh, yeah, so... To one of my credits I have to give you is that uh, so I was doing pre-MIDI. MIDI didn't come around to 1983 and Jordy was on to sequencing stuff so we were cobbling together these analog synthesi- uh, sequencers and synthesizers from ARP and Moog mm-hmm. and wanted to connect the the Fairlight, did that and Roger Lynn came out with the Lindrum first popular sampling right. drum machine and I have an LM1 and so I'm putting this stuff together and uh, Keith Emerson was working on a movie and uh, the orchestra was in, uh, in London. He didn't like the way it was working. He heard what we were doing, and he, oh, just working with Keith Emerson, Emerson Lincoln Palmer, of course, uh, was the biggest treat. So 
I got to do a feature film basically using that machine. That's crazy. So that was the birth of, uh, of my technology adventures was L.A. And so luckily coming to the mansion, it was the same thing. What do you want? Well, the Jordy in the, in the mansion here and the Village Recorder in L.A., did he tend to buy stuff here to play with it first? No, sometimes, And yeah. then say, yeah, we want yeah, this Yeah, and the then studio. things like I bought a, a, a Neve BCM-10, which you know is a, a very rare 10-channel. I bought two of them. Robbie Roberts got one, and we had the other. And when we moved, when Jordy moved here, I said the BCM10 has to come with. It. No, they wouldn't let me. Get, wouldn't let me bring it here. But that was thirty thousand dollars back then. You know, so the ADATs we used. Yeah, and, so the ADATs. Back so, on the story. There, there's a it's a modular digital multi-track recorder. See, they're eight channels each. You can just stack them up. Non-linear. Um, they're like, made the same thing. Yeah. So they're it's a tape recorder. Kind of like V8. By, like VHS and tapes. They were VHS yeah, tapes, were. yeah. Yep. Uh, but it was 8-track yeah. digital record. And you could sync them together and stack right. them as many as you need. So it was real clunky, but man, for $3,500 a piece, a 24-track system was thirteen grand. That really where, made the home studio boom. Yeah, right, boom. it was. And a, a, a 3324 Sony machine we're using the studio was $200,000. Yeah. Yeah. So this was like cut to and, the chase. And you broke those recording. in on us, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I came here to record the Phoenix Symphony um, at... Um, um, not Shatan, what was the one by the Pantheon? Pantheon, yeah. 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 yeah, so I we rented Pantheon and uh, the Phoenix Symphony, we were doing string samples for Australia. Okay. And they were the only f orchestra we could find in the country that didn't care what we were doing. Other ones getting very suspicious. What are you doing? I said, we're doing digital <laughs> analysis of string sounds. <laughs> okay, scientific analysis. No problem. I said, put charts in front of us. But the charts were big whole notes with no, no vibrato because you couldn't have vibrato in the sample. Right. And they're, they've never played violin without vibrato since the day they were a kid and picked it up. So they didn't care. But that was a, a $200,000 machine just to do that. Wow. The ADATs came and saved the recording industry in the home market anyway. Really yeah, created I mean, this genre. Yeah, because before that, for a home studio, you'd be picking up a, a half-inch eight-track, and that's about right. anybody yeah. can really afford. The and the ADATs were so affordable, and VHS tapes everybody had, so it was very simple to start mm -hmm. building your home studio, and you could always add on and go. Yeah, yeah. So I think that yeah. was a big part of what made remember that home studio in, in L.A. And, and Nashville at the time, they were trying to ban home studios. Yeah. Because studios were th felt threatened by, and I always said, we're not threatened by them. They're recording enthusiasts and musicians. They're not recording engineers, and they're not mixers. So, right. you know, so at the village, we embraced all that stuff. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was cool. Whatever, it was a tool. It was yeah, just another tool. Yeah, it really, really was. Yeah. So that song "In My Life" that we did there yes, with, with the yes, ADAPs yes. and everything. Oh yes. With Doug Williams. Yeah. Was I talked to him a couple months ago. I hadn't talked to him in wow. ten years. He or was so. your helper engineer. Yeah, he was there. my assistant. Yeah, for a long time. Uh, so in my life, I don't know if you know this, Jeff, but a mutual friend of Dave's and I was going through very, very hard times. Uh, he sold the rights to song. Suicidal, he was. He was oh. very bad off, and we had a cassette tape of In My Life. And yeah. you remember, it was on both sides, so the tape player would just keep playing it, right? Go to the <laughs> other side and play and keep going. So he, this guy told me, he says, Glenn, if it wasn't for that song, I'd be dead right now. Wow. He said, uh, for 24 straight hours, I laid on the middle of the no floor way. with headphones. I closed the drapes, the lights, everything. Like you say, you can hear different shit without. Yeah. Uh, and so because of that, you'll see on the back of my neck, my girlfriend and I both have a tattoo uh, in my life for that. Oh, that she was a friend cool. of I saw the tattoo. Stuff. I didn't catch that before. Wow. So that's what it was about. Well, and it's, without, without you there, uh, you know, we wouldn't have done that. So, yeah. right? Good times. I good learned times. so much from you in the studio, man, uh, back then. Fuck. 
<laughs> I remember I couldn't I couldn't sing high enough. This was before the digital oh, yeah. show. We were still using the it was two, it was the regular Atari two uh, two inch twenty four track. Machine. Yeah. yeah. So I I couldn't reach a high harmony or something. He goes, well, here's how we do that, Just and you slowed the down. tape down five or ten percent or yeah. something. So instead of the note, I had to sing being ah, it would be ah, and then when it sped up, it was ah. You didn't have an A440 tone, you just tune it down to what you wanted to do yeah, and then yeah. go. It was amazing. I've, I learned that from you and, oh yeah, fuck. <laughs> yeah, we sat. Now we have all we the digital tools you and to cheat everything. all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's very, very different. You know, back in the day, uh, before the digital recording world, almost every song you know and love sped up a little bit or yeah. at the choruses, you know. And now that we work on this grid, ever since the click track and the drum machine and the concept of grid, you know, linear editing came into play. Now you can't. We won't let tempos change, and it's it's sad because music really oh. needs to breathe a little bit. Well, the you tricks know? we used to do for doing like a pop record, and you're doing strings, and you tune the you have the string players tuned to like 442. Mm -hmm. And why? Because the bands, the music's at 440, but 442 is just without bringing it up in the loud in the mix. It's just stressed a little get temp at. Pitch wise against yeah. the rest of it, so Sticks it jumps out, out a little bit. Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. Oh, we had. I just learned something else. In yeah. fact, when you sing, I think I, I was told that this is one of the reasons why most singers in the studio, when they're first learning, sing a little sharp. And one of the reasons is in the headphone mix, in the music, if you really sing right on pitch, it's harder to hear yourself because now you blend into that track. Yeah. And singing a little sharp, you hear, you hear yourself. Yeah. And so <laughs> Glenn Campbell used to take his yeah. headphones off and said, I will not sing with headphones. And we would cut the record with music playing in speakers real quietly. Because once he started to sing, he didn't need to hear the music anymore. He knew the phrase and he knew the pitch. He only needed to kind of hear his cues to get going. And that's how he would track his vocals. And, when, and if you take headphones and hold them, a foot in front of your face when you're singing on a mic and then put them on your ears the pitch changes mm -hmm. too what you hear yeah. and so it changes where you sing it's kind of crazy you know when you think about all oh, this stuff we used to do a-hole things with friends who were singing and have a harmonizer on the headphone mix and just, oh, yeah. they're singing I think of the <laughs> whole what? track and they're going what I, I do that <laughs> not, shifting the track <laughs> I do it not like that I actually do that with a delay for singers who can't <laughs> get in the pocket <laughs> no so they can't get in the pocket I delay their cue feed oh. so they're singing on oh, where I want funny. them on the beat yeah. rather than trying to get them to slow down I just send in like Dragon. 30 milliseconds this one country singer I work with I delay the track 30 milliseconds through his headphones and it lands just in the pocket on the record <laughs> so uh, your, your ex-wife wrote some songs oh god yeah 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 well Ex-wife Holly Knight was a famous 80s songwriter and multimillionaire, sold her catalog and all that stuff. And the, a funny story, how I met her was at the NAMM show. I was demonstrating the Fairlight, and she's this accomplished keyboard player, and she wanted to see it. And um, uh, she kept calling me at the studio for, to, for demonstration and all that. And then she was working with Mike Chapman, who did The Knack and right. Blondie mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And... Uh, uh, he was interested in it, and so we started working with it. And so she, I, she and I started doing music together. And, and what were the biggest hits she wrote? Well, Love is a Battlefield is the, by Pat Benatar is the huge one. And, Fair. Uh, no, it was yeah, not written about us. She says it wasn't written about us, but, you know, I did all the demos. And stuff, maybe, <laughs> right? um, maybe she got tired of it. But, um, yeah, no, she – and Stuff for Heart and Tina Turner. You know, just, the Warrior? Yeah. She wrote that, yeah, too, yeah. Yeah. So she's yeah. big, man. So and she lives off that the, money the now. Best. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh shit. Yeah, it lives in Bel Air. So I've never been there. Well, California. So, Jordy Hormel owned a mansion yeah. in and Pacific Palisades. Oh yeah. Which, that was the first studio I built for him. Was in the 
and the old right. It was in the basement. Cabin. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> in the old log cabin, whenever yeah, a box of cherries would play out there, that's where we would stay. Yeah, that place was crazy. Yeah, Johnny, his, his son lived there. Mm-hmm. Johnny Hormel. And we had all the tour buses. The, oh, the tour, tell him about the tour bus. Did oh, yeah. you let you use the tour bus? Yeah, Jordy let us. So Jordy was afraid to fly. He hates, Jordy Hormel. Yeah. So. so we had this big, huge tour bus, six hundred thousand dollars back then, or oh, something. Oh yeah, and I, I built a little writing room in the back of each of them, so the lounge was always yeah a studio thing. And he let Box of Cherries put our logo in there, and had his driver <laughs> take us to the Roxy when That's we played. That's right. <laughs> and everybody thought we got a record deal. <laughs> BOC <laughs> the now. That was great shit. You guys come strutting off the bus. I know. It was great. I forgot about that. I bet you did a great show. Um, Well, yeah. I eventually got his limo, too. Yep. Uh, Basically for a song, you know. Yeah, so... so It's funny. As rich as he was, he would do things on the cheap, too. So he bought a limo, and it was this... What would he pay for that? It was was an old limo. It was just for fun. Had his driver driving around. So he's never pretentious, and he had this wonderful gray beard, and he looked like a bum, you mm-hmm. know. And that was just yeah. he had, he didn't have to prove anything to anybody. So one time we're going to uh, uh, NAB show in Vegas, and I'm going there to check out gear, right? And he says, um, you're, you, "He said you're going." I said, "Yeah, I got my ticket. I'm already go." He says, "Well, why don't you fly with me?" And I said, "You don't like to fly." He said, "No, we'll take a Learjet." <laughs> so I c- cancel the flight. He says, "Meet me at Scottsdale Airport." And um, he said, pick me up at the, at the house. And I had a little Nissan car. And so I'm driving him to the freaking Scottsdale Airport in this little car, and we pull up next to a Learjet. And the two of us on a Learjet fly to Vegas, and he, had, he was in bad health, so I had to rent him a, a scooter chair to go around. Oh, yeah. And um, we'd go to those things, and he'd go back to you know, hang out, and he'd just take a video camera, go sh- shoot stuff. And uh, bring it back to me see, see what's there. And then we go look at booths and stuff, and he'd buy stuff. And then, uh, but we get out of the Learjet, and we're at the airport, at McCarran, and he share, we share a taxi cab with two other people going to the convention. <laughs> <laughs> we show up in my crappy car, fly in a Learjet, and then get a, a shared taxi cab. Love it. So he had nothing to prove to anybody. No, that's just living life, <laughs> just being a regular guy. But that was that was that was the. Well, he was brilliant. You know. he, he knew what spoke five languages. Yeah, yeah, no, he's just. Yeah. Well, we uh, I I sang with him. He used to do like Salvation Army on yeah. Christmas yeah. downtown. Yeah. yeah, and I did that with him. And he a was couple an artist. Times. He did all that artwork. He'd sell and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he also played piano at the Wrigley. So tell me about your experience oh, well, the with Wrigley, the Wrigley Mansion. The Wrigley. He grew up in a, 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 a house much like that, the Hormel Mansion in in Austin, Minnesota. And he gets here and he sees the, the Wrigley Mansion and says, this reminds me of home. And it was going to be torn down because um, uh, it could only be a private club. You can't have a private residence. You can't have a commercial entity there. So it, he wanted to save it. So, you know, $3 million or whatever it was, he went and he bought it and sent me over there to check it out. And uh, sure enough, we, he starts firing people and rebuilds it and it's, it's amazing and mm-hmm. and the sunday brunch is there and he would play piano yeah i remember and sometimes george benson would show up and play along with him and stuff yeah. was, valerie and i got married there oh you did yeah, yeah i remember doing lots for of for free there. man no for it was definitely free. not free. was it was <laughs> out on the great deal out on the patio out on the out on the lawn in the back uh yes yeah yeah, yeah. we did lots of weddings there. yeah 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 when so that's why he saved it that's why uh, it was th- it. what a place when he bought a box of cherries, we painted all the banisters and did all this. We did all kinds of shit. He'd pay us 10 bucks an hour to do shit. <laughs> Any labor was fair game. Remember? Yeah. 
That's yeah, cool. fucking good shit. We'll man. paint for recording time. That's and good. his mansion, Powell's Pacific Palisade. You remember the jacuzzi was in the shape oh, of yeah. a music note, right? Yeah. Oh, and it was deep up to your neck. Yeah, that was this whole thing. When cherries, when we stayed there, there were all kinds of naked girls <laughs> running around there and shit. I don't remember that part. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> good stuff, man. Uh, well, Jeff, after you got in Phoenix and you did, you worked over at uh, Jordy's yeah. place. Where else did? What else have you done well, in the valley? Well, at that time, uh, when I moved from the way I ended up doing that for Jordy, I'd left the village and uh, I came here to do the studio. I thought I'd be here for six months. Mm-hmm. That was thirty-two years ago. And uh, along the way, I met Carol, <laughs> my wife, and. This is the one I'm sticking with. It's been twenty over twenty years. So. Congratulations! Uh, but uh, so I didn't leave, and um, I started my company, Artifact Studio Services. So that, and I ran that out of Porcupine Studios with mm-hmm. my partner John Roble. So he and I built that three-room complex, and I ran my business out of there too. And at that time, um, you know Esteban, the flamenco guitar player, right. in here in town. Um, I was doing a record with him at Porcupine, and uh, Joe Morris was playing drums, and. Robert Brock was playing piano, and uh, Brock and I hit it off. He just calls himself Brock. And he said, Jeff, uh, you should come check out the Conservatory of Recording Arts and Sciences. I said, the what? And this is like 27 years ago when I'm working. And um, so I go over there, and I said I had no idea there was a recording school in Phoenix, like this well-kept secret. And it was just one campus back then. And I hit it off with everybody there and the owner, and uh, they hired me to teach one day a week. And um, did that for 12 or 13 years. And then, um, so I've been there 25 years. Uh, what were you teaching? Um, recording technology. And I still teach one day a week because I love hanging out with these students and sharing mm-hmm. stuff. But my main gig is three days a week. I run the technical department. So Well, you also the, designed. The, oh, yeah. So I do acoustic design. The, the Fox I, Sports yeah, I, broadcast. Done, yeah, you know, the broadcast facilities. Facility. And I designed a bunch of studios here in town. Premier Studios downtown, uh-huh. and That's I cool just space. did um, um, Brick Road up in Scottsdale. Yeah, I, just, I designed that one. He helped me with my studio. He comes in, and he's <laughs> he's not a not a PC guy, so he comes in. And he makes a phone call to his buddy, who's a editor at Mix Magazine to find out what that guy uses in his home studio. <laughs> so that's the kind of guy Jeff is. Yeah. So yeah. yeah so I still have my company. I still yeah. design studios and such, and you know. I don't do much recording anymore. I, we sold the studio and I've liquidated most of my stuff. So mm-hmm. still do some stuff at the school because I've yeah. I've got ten studios and two TV facilities at my disposal. So yeah, so when you yeah, need something, so, you got it. Yeah, and yeah. interns. Yeah, so and interns, students. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. yeah, so let's go back to the village recorders. Yeah, so uh, they had their twenty-five year anniversary oh, party wow. in Hollywood. And they, they just crossed fifty last year, I think it was. Yeah, and we yeah. went. Uh, yep. we, you you were there and I, we were invited because Jordy and Jamie went yeah. and everything, and it was like a not black tie but really uppity affair. Yeah, ice sculptures everywhere and shit. Remember more uh-huh. shrimp than he could eat. Oh yeah, which we tried. It was at the um, what was it called? The Hollywood. Um, it was right across from Capitol Records. That, that club. What was it called back then? Anyway, um, Troubadour. No, 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 no. It was a the Palace, the Hollywood oh, Palace. That's yeah, what yeah, it was. yeah, yeah. And. Uh, so uh, Mick Fleetwood was there and people, and so Mick's uh-huh. band, he had the Blue Whale, his blues band, played, and we, I recorded that, and I have that those recordings somewhere. Oh. I got to dig out. I had one eight that there, and so it was an eight track thing. But you know what? I, I remember have so much stuff in storage. I, I just remember Jordy had all these t- two inch tapes 
uh, in a climate-controlled room. Remember, yep. I, yeah, hundreds I, I of. I built them. that. Yeah. And and you were in charge of like baking them. The so inventory, t- yeah, what, I transferred them. What yep. was what was that about? Well, they still exist. All that stuff, uh, his catalog and everything, and uh, uh, even found. Back in the 50s, he was doing orchestrations and needle drop music, he used to call it. So for Capitol Records, it's music you use for movie, TV shows. I mean, he did all kinds of TV shows that were back then. And so we found all those recordings and remastered those. And so I this was on tape, though. Oh, two-inch two oh, two tape. You know, yeah, two-inch like, 24-track tape. And hundreds and hundreds And then you had to bake them for yeah, some reason. Why? What happened with tape? analog tape back in the 80s the the glue they used for the oxide was bad all the tape managers were the same thing so if you baked it uh, you know with special recipe bake it in a convection oven and it would re-adhere the binder and last for a month or so you could okay, transfer to digital how, you know old so, rubber bands get like crack yeah the yeah. tape when it sits in a reel for a long time the glue dries the, yeah the, the, it, it holds it, the metal oxide that holds the recording you put off. it on your tape machine and it, it just scrapes like the recording right off scrapes the oxide right off yep. so you heat it yeah softens the glue reseats the oxide and you can play it again yeah, just like a yeah. an old condom that had a rip in the package <laughs> you have to wrap it with a new one <laughs> yeah. or okay. seal it with the lighter that you're doing i got it melt it i mean i don't care but uh so, you'd yeah you'd warm the rubber yeah, and so, it would seat the iron hey, so so at that village anniversary yeah, oh party gosh, i brought cool. holly right girl yeah, i'm living with now holly, yeah. has the tattoo with yep. me and uh First time her and I did an oyster because they had mm-hmm. people uh, yeah, walking around yeah. with trays of uh, Roy oysters and mm-hmm. shit. So she takes one, puts it in her mouth, and she wants to spit it out. <laughs> you know, she's like, like waving. There's no garbage can around, and it's too dressy to spit it out in your hand. You know, so I go, just kiss me. So she spits oh. it in my mouth, and then I just swallow it. That was our first experience with a Roy oyster, both of us. I never uh, had one. Still <laughs> I confess. I have had one. That's a good one. I think one. That's a good one. I'm, I'm a Pisces. I don't eat my own kind. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, you haven't had any you know, decently grilled sea bass. Uh, no, it's sea bass. I like sea bass. Okay. You want another fun memory from the mansion? Go, man. Go. Come. So uh, I meet this girl, Dawn. So you remember uh, Barry Goldwater Jr. Yeah. And, and the lawyer He'd Kent. come over, yep. They had an office upstairs because mm-hmm. anyone that wanted to meet Jordy had to go through them first. Yep. Right? They were the buffer. Anyway... Uh, we all knew them pretty good. And I'm up there, and this beautiful blonde girl, Dawn, <laughs> is up there. And I just met her up there. And I come downstairs with you. She's still up there. And I tell you, oh, my God, there's this goddess up there, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to go up and hit on her, man. So as I'm on my way up the stairs, you intercommed those guys up there and said, Glenn's coming up. He's going to hit on Dawn, so be ready. <laughs> so I go up there, and I'm all coy, like, you know, making my slow move, and they already know what's going to happen. <laughs> God, how fucking embarrassing, man. <laughs> That's Didn't mean to rat you out, man. That was good, man. That was so good. That's funny. <laughs> well, we got about 10 minutes, so yeah. you have anything in your little list of notes there you want to make sure you hit or cover in terms of stories? Uh, go, Jeff. What else? You got? Uh, I'll give you my my most go, baby. The, <laughs> the recording adventure that uh, sticks in my mind. I share with students is uh, I'm the chief engineer at the village, and the general Excuse manager me? says he was the chief engineer at the village. You were the chief okay, engineer yeah. at the village, and um, the general manager says we have a VIP client coming in next Wednesday. I say, oh, cool. Who is it? Uh, we don't know. They won't tell us. But here's the setup. And it was in early eight, it was 85. And it was when I was just getting into all this MIDI stuff and sequencing drum machines. And we were doing some cool stuff. And uh, uh, it, it was Muhammad Ali. 
walks in. Oh, and cool. I go, holy crap. And he was a hero of mine. I mean, I just think he's an amazing human being. And being a Vietnam right. heir, um, I shared his opinions about going to war and killing people. Um, and uh, I said, what the hell are we doing? And this is 1985, and he says, Jeff, I'm doing a rap recording for World Famine Relief. He used the word rap, 1985. This is crazy. Huh. And the first line in the thing was, rap records rock with the rhythm and the rhyme, but I'm the baddest rapper of all time. <laughs> you got to hear him doing that, you know. But um, I said, well, this is going to be fun. And it was a benefit. It was like a little We Are the World. And it was going to be so many tracks. I had three 24-track machines all synced together. You get enough tracks. And we're using the Fleetwood Mac room. And he's working out and all this stuff. And uh, we're building the track. And everybody's high five. And it, it was this, the guy who produced it, and, and the money guy. And it was all independent, you know. There was no big company involved with this. And so it, was, it seemed a little shady, but they had money. We build the track. It's time for Ali to go in and do his thing. And he'd been freestyling out in the lounge and all this stuff. We put headphones on, and we're in the control. We're all like, yeah, that's going to be so cool. And he starts hearing the track. He couldn't sing on the one. He had no oh. idea where the beat was. He, he would he freestyle all day freestyle long, but he couldn't follow music, yeah. anything like that. So we said, how about just the metronome? So we're just playing a straight tempo through the whole thing. And no. And then the producer starts doing this, just waving his hand at Ali, and Ali's going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, he's used to visually seeing people come at him. He's, right. just, he's got the move. So we end up doing striping another real time code and just putting the metronome down, and we're going through line by line and logging times. And so we're listening to the metronome, the control, and the producer's waving through the window. And right. Ali, I do line, all he's hearing is headphones, us talking to him. Do line number one, okay. Do another take of that. And... He goes away, and now there's no Pro Tools. We actually, ha there's no tape. cut and paste. <laughs> we had to move the tape around, line it up, fly those in line by line. Took days. He comes back and says, let me hear it. Because he didn't know what we were doing. He had, had no idea what we were going to do. And, and it, the producer said, Jeff, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to engineer our way out of this thing somehow. I had no idea what I was going to do either. When we get it done, he says, I did pretty good, didn't I? I said, yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. Great. The, the sad part, I don't think it was ever released. I don't think it was ever released. Too bad. Um, and in L.A., uh, if you left personal property of business for 10 years and you've done your best to contact the owners and all that, right. it goes in the dumpster. Right. So the three multi-track reels went in the dumpster in 95. Mm -hmm. I rescued my – I had one reel with all the stems on it. And a couple of years ago, I found it, transferred it to Pro Tools. I'm trying to resurrect – I have all his stuff. So I'm trying to build the track around it and get it to his family. I don't, think, I don't know if they've ever heard it. So That's it's a cool. piece of history. It's a piece of crap, really, but it's a piece of history. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so the, oh, his, cool. fi his final thing was, was getting done. He said, Jeff, you're not as dumb as you look. He said, I'm, <laughs> the, I'm, I'm the pretty one. And uh, my brother was there, a photographer. And so Ali says, Jeff, put on the gloves. I said, you said what? <laughs> put on the gloves. He said, come on, come on. And so hanging in my office is a picture my brother talk, took with me with my fist on his chin. He's coming around bare knuckles. I'm laughing, and he's coming around all serious to get me. It's my favorite thing I've ever yeah. did in a recording photo. studio. Wow. Yeah. So. Your favorite thing? You forgot yeah. Box of Cherries yeah, that Box quick? of Cherries is pretty good. It's highly entertaining, <laughs> I'll tell you that. This was stressful, and, and, uh, and the challenge, I enjoyed this. God, challenge. that's a cool story, man. Yeah. That is. Yeah. So maybe it'll, it'll be, the world will hear it someday. Uh, so there's a guy named Jim Teletoso. Jim Teletoso, yeah. What about, talk about him. All right, so Jim is, um, 
an amazing person. He has a thing called Computer Graphics Labs. He worked out of ASU. He was brilliant. And um, they had a Cray supercomputer there. And he had interfaced it with the early Macintosh. And he traveled in those circles. But he's also a UFOer. Yeah. And, you know, been on the ships, you know, full on, hardcore, you know. And um, when I, one of the things I, was, I, I sold him a thing from LA that Fairly made, it was a video computer. We had the audio computer. They also got into video computers. And Del Tosa had one of these, he's using it to look at this footage and stuff. So I'm, I'm, in, I'm in Arizona, and he's here, and somebody, a mutual friend said, there's this guy, Jim Telatosa. And I go over and I'm in his office. I look across the desk and there's stuff I had sent him. I went, oh, that's you. <laughs> and so he and I hit it off and we created a, a sort of a hybrid between the village recorder and computer graphics, it's called Village Labs. And we were doing. I remember that. In fact, I remember seeing meeting him on TV. That's yeah, how I know yeah, him from yeah, from one of those shows. And under his name it said record producer, and I'm like, huh? What's a record yeah. producer doing on a show a, about UFOs? He had a band called UFO. I did a bunch of recording with U F A U X UFO, okay. and uh, uh, we did a bunch of recordings. He's a very talented musician yeah. and a writer, and. Uh, He's but considered like an expert in the UFO field, well, isn't he? he on he, TV he, and, shows and, and everything and, else. And the, the Phoenix Lights, he was all about that. And when the, the big ships came over yeah. or whatever it was. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, I was around when he was analyzing all that stuff. So wow. I hear from him once in a while. He's still in town somewhere. Oh, okay. Yeah. But that, that was Jim. And... Uh, did a lot of work with them. We've I went over that place a few times. Yeah, there, was there was a big right live stage on, in on, the back. On Broadway. Mm -hmm. uh, Broadway and uh -huh. Priest. Uh, yeah. Yeah, very, very yeah, cool. No, University Priest is where it was. Jim you know? yeah. so, wow. Yeah, so we did that for a few <laughs> years. But, uh, yeah. Good shit. Yeah. So, <clears throat> Box of Cherries, we were, uh, you've been to the band house, the Box oh, of Cherries yes. band house. Can you describe what that was? Well, you have to go on with a hazmat suit on. <laughs> no, it wasn't quite that. But there were rodents. Yes, there yeah, were. may have been rodents. Uh, and uh, some of them weren't musicians. They did, yeah. they <laughs> been roaches. Uh, Moldy dishes. Oh. Cockroaches. Yeah, well, it was a flop house. It was Eight a, people living in a three-bedroom house. Was it university, was it? Yeah, yeah. right across from the big fish. Yeah, yeah. So you uh, could go eat and come back. And, you know. It's amazing that chicks would come over and come back like a second and third <laughs> time. It's an, it's well, I remember a couple meetings there, but that was uh, yeah, not, not very many. It was nuts. It was weird for me because one day I'm sleeping on the floor in the living room right behind a black sheet at the band house. Yeah. And the next day I'm sleeping at the mansion, man. <laughs> it's the fucking weirdest shit, right? It's going like, up and down. So yeah, cool, down. man. The so if Jamie's living. listening, I just want to thank Jamie Hormel. Thanks, oh, yeah. Jamie. Good friend of ours, all of ours. Yeah. And uh, she's been so good to uh, me and all of us. Yeah, at, uh, and uh, Jordy, of course, was uh, salt of the earth. I mean, he... Absolutely. He was, uh, he'd give any, he was uh, generous to a fault, as they say, yeah. and uh, gave away his fortune as he went along. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for coming in. I appreciate oh, you oh, taking the time. Old, yeah, the old studio days. Yeah. That's right. And Dave, thanks for joining us. Nice to be here. Thanks, Glenn. You just keep knocking them out, bringing all these crazy guys in here. <laughs> we got another one to do next month, so I look forward to that. And you've been listening to the Auto D Show here on Dave Pratt Star Worldwide Networks, and we'll see you next week.